Sports Coast Sportscast. Today, we are joined by the voice of sports on the East Coast and here in Baltimore on 105.7 The Fan, Mike Popovic. Thanks for having me, guys. Good to, good to be here and uh, all all day. Special day today in celebrating the hall and also giving back. Yeah, uh, it's always fun to uh, be here on all day, all day, all the stuff they have going on. I know they have a 3v3 basketball going on right now, 3v3 soccer. Yeah, so it's, it'll be a good day. Yeah, it's good to be back on campus. Always good to be here. Okay, so the NFL schedule came out last night, I think probably at 8 o'clock. Um, there was a few interesting games that are on the schedule, but uh, how do you feel about the Ravens, the Ravens schedule? Like, what are your initial thoughts on their schedule? Well, I, first off, and I've said this before, I'm not a huge fan of the London games. And because of the amount of travel, it gets the teams out of their regular routine. Right. I understand it's a, it's a nice – payoff if you will to the fans over there to, to be able to go over there and have them see their favorite teams in person but I think for the teams themselves I think they do them a disservice I'm not a big fan of it and I gotta tell you the 9 30 start for me personally Sunday you know you go to church you got things to do I'd rather those games start say 11 30 in the morning I think that would be better like baseball had their 11 35 yeah. with the Orioles and Braves the other day on on NBC and on Peacock so I'm not a huge fan of it but in terms of the layout of the schedule though um, I, yeah, I think it lays out you know fairly well. Now, the last four games of the season, they've got Jacksonville, San Francisco, Miami, and Pittsburgh. Those last two games are at home, though. But that is a tough stretch yeah. there, no question about it. Uh, I mean, those teams a playoff push too. Those, that's probably. I mean, I mean, the Steelers game is always important towards the end of the season. Um, Jacksonville is going to be tough this year. San Francisco playoff team last year, right? Yeah. They're going to have a San Francisco's going to have a top three defense. Um, who was the other one? Uh, the Miami Dolphins. Oh, uh, Dolphins, that's kind of a wild card. Like, I don't know how to feel about the Dolphins. But, yeah, that's a really tough uh, last four games of the season. Um, yeah, the, uh, the the fact that your first two divisional games are on the road. So, you hope to you know, be able to steal one of those two, that first one at uh, Cincinnati. But Houston to kick off the season. You never take any games for granted. But, as you guys know, right. you need to get that first win. Teams that start off 0-2 usually don't make the playoffs. So, hopefully they could take care of business week one at home against Houston. But first two divisional games on the road with uh, – uh, Pittsburgh, actually the first three with Cincinnati, Cleveland, and then Pittsburgh. So they'll have to navigate their way through there, no doubt. Yeah, Dave, when you first saw the schedule, uh, what would you? What was your initial like? What was your initial reaction as a Ravens fan? As a Ravens fan, I I liked it. First off, I really liked starting off with the Texans. Obviously, you can't take it for granted, but C.J. Stroud, rookie's first game, most likely, unless they go Davis Mills, which. I would doubt. I'm not worried about either one. <laughs> so it's, I don't think it matters too much. But I like that. And then I love getting a, the away road uh, divisional games out of the way. Mm -hmm. Start it off. And then we can kind of get into a groove as the season progresses. Then really the end of the stretch towards the end of the season, I'm a little nervous about that. I think the 49ers game, I think that's prime time Monday night. That's I'm a, that's a Christmas that. night game. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's going to be exciting. So I'm looking forward to that. I think – I'm hoping the Ravens, you know, as long as Lamar stays healthy, I'm looking for a playoff push, hopefully uh, atop the division. Well, just for fun, there are a couple of outlets calling the Ravens either at 9.5 or 10.5 with wins and such. And I know there was some talk this morning on the on the fan on the Friday morning show about, you know, their thoughts about it. And you'd like to think that if this team stays healthy with Bateman, OBJ, uh, Jackson with the new offensive coordinator, new exciting offense – You'd like to think with the defense having got really good at the end of the year, you'd like to think that this is a team that should win 10 games. Could they win 12? I think potentially 11 seems to be that right spot, especially given the last four games of the season. So I'd like to think, yeah, it's a team that could go 11-6 and six this season, again, if they, if they stay healthy. For sure. I mean, looking at the past couple of years, obviously Lamar's been hurt. Uh, two years ago was when the Ravens' secondary just got absolutely obliterated with all those injuries. So if the Ravens can stay healthy, obviously, I think the key guys are going to be Lamar and then Odell. Odell is the biggest wild card for me personally. And if those guys can stay healthy and build a good connection on the field, 
I mean, I just don't see how the Ravens don't win 11 games personally. And Zay Flowers, that's going to be interesting because I know the the doubters, and I understand a lot of Ravens fans having seen that we haven't drafted and or developed wide receivers very well over the years. You're going to be cynical. I get that. But, you know, when you hear Steve Smith say, don't get caught up in his height and his weight. This kid's a physical receiver. Uh, he doesn't shy away from contact. Uh, he's explosive. You know, he'll go and grab the ball in those, uh, you know, uh, 50-50 situations. That'll be interesting to see. And, again, with an offensive coordinator that has more of a passing game coordinator pedigree in uh, Todd Munkin, he may thrive where maybe he wouldn't have under Greg Roman. Yeah, I think the development the development of receivers is for sure key. Zay Flowers, obviously, Steve Smith did a great breakdown, which I really enjoyed watching. That was that was fun to see him get so excited about a, a guy that the Ravens drafted. He is similar to Steve Smith. I've seen some comparisons to Marquise Brown, which scares me a little bit. I think that's more just the size and the speed factor, but I think Zay is more dynamic after the catch. We didn't really see that with Marquise Brown. And then better hands and I think he's shiftier uh I think he's just I think he's just going to be a better player I think Marquise Brown especially those injuries uh where he had the he had the needle or the nail in his foot <laughs> like that was that was shaky so I think Zay's going to be a better receiver than all the other guys we've drafted so far I feel like Marquise Brown is kind of just a he, his skill set is very limited down to the deep ball um and I feel like Zay Flowers is that's why I don't really understand the Marquise Brown comparison because Zay Flowers can go underneath. He can play the slot. Um, he's physical on short routes, and he can go um, make, I mean, like a 50-yard touchdown after the catch, which I didn't really see Marquise Brown doing. And he played some outside of Boston College, too, so he yeah. can play outside, inside. Yeah. Um, and I just I don't really understand the Marquise Brown comparison, as I called it on uh, draft night. What did, I, what did I say he's a mix of? Kadarius, Tony, and Kelvin Benjamin? Because he's <laughs> – I did say Travis Benjamin, <laughs> but I didn't mean to say Travis Benjamin. Um, well, we'll see how we'll see Hollywood Brown or Marquise Brown uh, with uh, the Arizona, Arizona matchup later yeah. in the season. That should be a win for them. But um, yeah, do you guys? How many times do you go out west? Um, because I know that's a big issue with Steelers fans is going out west because we never play good out west. Well, you've got. Uh, the L.A. Chargers out west. You've got the San Francisco 49ers out west. And you've got the Arizona Cardinals out west as well. So those are three matchups. I think it's a sixth most travel. But then you've got the London game as well. So that's uh, the Ravens will be traveling a lot more this year than they have in the past. So that's something to factor in. I think when you take a look at is it spread out or not, that's a big factor. So you're playing Detroit week seven at home, then at Arizona, back home against Seattle. So that works out nicely. What? Uh, but you've got that Tennessee matchup week six. That's the London matchup. And then you're back home for week seven. Uh, so when you factor in London week six and then Arizona week eight, that's a lot of travel in three weeks right. there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. When I looked at the Steelers schedule, moving on to the Steelers, um, I know everybody's pretty much a Ravens fan, but I had I had to sh- give my piece on the Steelers. Uh, I do not know why we're playing San Francisco week one. I don't get it. But then we have a stretch. Uh, we got Cleveland. Then we got – I'm pretty sure we have to go to Vegas. And then we're, then we're in Houston. Uh, I think that's 2-2 two and two to start the year. Um, then we have an early bye week six after playing the Ravens at home week five. Um and then we ha- we should have a win in the Rams. Then we play Jacksonville and Tennessee, and then Green Bay. Um, and I just like the end of the year, like the, the we have two games that are to be determined, like the Ravens games to be determined. We don't no clue what day or what time that's going to be. And then the Colts game is also TBD. Um, but I don't like how week seven we have to go into Seattle at 4:05 and travel back for week 18 because Mike Tomlin is notoriously not good. Uh, transitioning into the West Coast. So I I don't really – and I think they said we had, like, the strength of schedules, like 26 or something. So um, they should – I don't really know how to feel about the schedule. I think we could squeeze out nine wins, maybe ten wins, depending on how Kenny Pickett plays. Um, I mean, Dave, is it really a question of Mike Tomlin getting nine wins? I mean, is that a really ridiculous statement, Dave? For me, it's not. It's not the. Uh, it's not the Steelers and their roster per se. It's more just. I. 
I think the division's going to be tough. I think the Browns are a big wild card. I think the Steelers are better are better are a better team than the Browns. But I just ten wins might be a little bit too rich for me, especially if the Ravens are firing on all cylinders and the Bengals also. Like those are two teams that could both win 11, 12 games, even though that would be surprising. So the Steelers, I would put them more at eight or nine. Maybe I think ten's a little too rich for me personally. The Steelers had a good, and it's all on paper. The Steelers had right. a good draft, though, uh, as we know. So I mean, you, you you factor that in. Kenny Pickett's in year two, so that that's a big factor as well. Yeah, this division, and you you hit upon it. Cleveland is going to be the X factor here right. with Deshaun Watson, and you know their head coach is one where. Yeah, he's a running game type guy, but yet you're bringing in a guy that is going to be throwing the football. How they meld Deshaun Watson, a passer, into a run-first type offense, which I'm assuming they're going to adjust that, but does that get away from what the head coach wants to do? They've got a good O-line. they got a good run game. So that's all going to be interesting. So Cleveland's going to be X-factor. But it, from a Ravens perspective, even Steelers perspective, you have to think that chances are you're splitting the Steelers because that's just how it always happens. And you're likely splitting the Bengals. And then, yeah, the Browns went all. I mean, the Ravens lost to Cleveland last year, um, but a game that maybe should have had. But uh, that division, you could see where everybody splits, you know, right down the middle with it. Yeah. We'll just have to see. That's pretty much how I approach it every year. Um, and we've seen Cleveland do this before where they bring in, where they have a running style offense and they bring in somebody like Odell. Um, and then you draft Baker, or you draft Baker, then sign Odell, and it just. It never meshes because somebody's always in need of the ball, and somebody's not getting the ball enough. And I feel like bringing Deshaun Watson in didn't really make much sense, especially for the capital they gave up um, and how he's performed. How he performed last <clears throat> last year, I know he was suspended, and then he came back. That's um, tough to judge. It right, out eleven games, so yeah, um, yeah. But I don't know. I think Cleveland is the biggest wild card that is in the division because the the Bengals are going to be for sure. They're going to get it. In my opinion, they're for sure going to get at least ten wins, and that's that's um, I think that's for certain. The Ravens, if they can stay healthy, they're always a force to be reckoned with, um, especially with Lamar being secure. Um, there's no controversy with Lamar anymore, and he has probably the best weapons he's ever had in his career on paper. Um, but yeah, that's I mean, so it's, it's I think it's the toughest division in football, and that's just my opinion. Uh. uh. I think they're up there, but then AFC East, I think maybe yeah. people are putting a little bit too much stock into the Jets with their six primetime games, but the Bills are going to be one of the best teams in football. The Dolphins, I mean, they Well, that depends the on the health of Tunga Bailoa, but of if course. he stays healthy, yeah. Well, you, I think any time you look at a division, you first start at the quarterback position. Right. How strong are the quarterbacks top to bottom? You look in the AFC North, you do have – four good quarterbacks there and uh, with Burrow I'd say a great quarterback there for sure in the AFC East yeah top to bottom you got a lot of quality QBs yeah I think even the Patriots depending on how like the Broncos pan out with Sean Payton and Russell Wilson I think if they're good and I really like Jimmy Garoppolo in Vegas I think they could even they could just be a threat to win nine games if they if they want to um, depending on how uh our boy Tari Wilson plays. Um, but I really I, – I like the AFC West, too. I think the AFC is just an overall the better conference. The weakest is the AFC South for sure, but um, I pretty – I like every division in, in the AFC. So, that's – you want to move on to some baseball? Yeah, I mean, the, the tough division um, scene can come right back into baseball. I mean, yeah. the <laughs> Orioles are in the toughest division, and they're absolutely destroying it right now. So, um we can move into that. We we just uh, uh, won a three game set against uh, the Rays. Uh, we were able to squeak out a four four two win and a, a two one win. So, uh, I mean, we we would like to see more out of Gunner. Um, he's batting one eighty or something. Uh, got a couple hits in that series. Um, Adley came back. He came out of a slump. He, mm -hmm. I was actually there. I was sitting third row behind him. Played. I've had twenty seven people tell me they saw me. Um, nice, nice. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> And he you know, pitched right down. It, it was a cutter right down the middle. He just took it as far as he possibly could to right field. And um, I think we're sitting at 24 and nine, 24 and something. 24 and 12. Uh, yeah, 24 and 12, 24 yeah, yeah. 13. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, we're performing as well as we possibly could. Yenier Cano is one of the best performances <laughs> I've ever seen out of a, a reliever. Yeah. Um, 
20 some innings, a zero ERA. He's given up like four hits. Yeah, so it's it's all good that we're seeing right now. They need to bring him in in a situation where the team's trailing and it's okay if he gives up a couple of runs because otherwise at some point he's going to come in, it's going to happen. But, yeah, he's been phenomenal. But, look, to your point, I mean, the AL East is uh, top to bottom uh, right now. I mean, a, a phenomenal division with, now that the Orioles have gotten better. You've seen Boston have one year good, one year bad. The Yankees have, you know, the Yankees are the Yankees during the regular season. Toronto's been hyped up a lot in the last couple of years. They still have to get it done in the playoffs, but they've been solid during the regular season. But I think for the Orioles, you go back last year, a 31-game turnaround, and a lot of people may have questioned, yeah, but was that was that a bit of an outlier? How much of that is truly the makeup of that the organization's getting better? And so far, we're a little over a fifth through the season, and you're seeing that so far, they're proving that last year was not an outlier, that it is indeed more of the norm of where this organization, where this team is headed. So that's the good news. There's still more to come. You've seen the starting pitching start to get better with Kramer, for instance, two straight quality outings. We need to see more. And ultimately, the teams that make the playoffs are the ones that get the most out of their starting pitching from an innings perspective. So we do need to see that more. You know, Rodriguez is learning on the fly in the majors. So he's going to have his ups and downs. You have to understand that. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's great to see that they've been able to build off what they did last year. And we, we see the starting pitching thing happening with the Rays right now. I mean, they're, they're going to go far into the season because of McClanahan pitching very well. And last night they played the Yankees. They won 8-2 to two or something. And uh, Drew Rasmussen pitched seven innings, gave up two hits, seven Ks, and only threw 70 pitches. I was actually – he's on my fantasy team. I was okay. frustrated he came out in the seventh inning. I was like, why are they not pitching him more? He only threw 76 pitches. So, But uh, I think starting pitching is, is, is very key when you want to make a, a playoff push. Yeah, no, no question. The bullpen has been pretty good, though you've seen some signs of them getting tired. But, yeah, throughout the course of the season, they're, they're going to need to get uh, more from the starters. And we're not talking, you know, five and a third. We're talking about six, sometimes seven innings. Uh, they do have other arms down on the farm that they can use. But I think there's a fine line between moving guys up and down, up and down. You saw several years back they did that with Kevin Gosman, and that did not work out very well. Um, there may have been some good reasons why they did it because they're trying to field the best team to win the game that night. But that can stun someone's growth. So that's a fine line that they're going to walk there with the 40-man roster. I think we'll see that a lot. I mean, uh, we've done it for the past couple of years with bringing guys up and down when our guys get tired. I mean, I'm sure every team does it. But um, our bullpen, I mean – Batista is lights out, but he's only good for about 20 pitches. And um, yeah, He's made it interesting recently. Yeah. I mean, the other night, an yeah. inning and a third and three walks. Yeah, so they yeah. took him uh, – they had Yenny or Cano in in the eighth inning, and he pitched uh, two-thirds, and then they took him out uh, with uh, one out left in the eighth. And everybody behind me, they were just so frustrated. They were like, why are we doing this? Um, but, uh, I mean, Batista got it done. He, he uh, was able to finish out the game. But I think our – our starting pitching is definitely going to be something that we're going to have to experiment with and, and take into the later parts of the season. And then the, the bullpen is just going to get tired. We're going to have to switch guys out, I think, like we've done in the past. You know, you talked about Gunnar Henderson. It's just going to take some time for him to, to get the at-bats. You know, we saw Rutschman this season in a full year, and even last year when he was with the team for, what, three months or so. We saw him, yeah, he, he acclimated quicker in hitting the baseball and being more of an offensive threat. But – even for, for most guys, even talented guys, you need X amount of at-bats to be able to get the experience there. And, again, he's learning on the fly uh, with Urias on the 10-day IL right now. He'll get plenty of opportunity at third base defensively. But, yeah, hopefully the more at-bats, you'll start to see some improvement with him at the bat. Maybe you're starting to see a little bit of that happen now. Um, yeah, the, the guy I feel sorry for, Ryan Mountcastle's had so many solid hit balls, right? At guys or, or, or defensive guys who made really good plays in the outfield or what have you. Uh, but nothing you could do about that. But, yeah, with Henderson, man, if he can just up his average by, you know, 30 to 40 points, you see what that would add to an already what has been a potent lineup. So, I mean, my dad and I were talking about it. We were looking at the, the – we have – we don't have, like, studs like um, – say a Rays team or a, um, uh, a Blue Jays like we don't have like five or six guys that are, are going to go to any team and be a starter we have guys that are like a bunch of wild cards like Santander has, has proved that he's very good but he, he's not like an everyday starter on a lot of rosters in in, in the majors and um, we have I mean McCann's playing very well when he, he's a wild card um, O'Hearn's been playing well when he gets a start um, We've seen success out of Hayes, but he's playing 
lights out this year. He's been a lot better than he has in the past. And overcoming that injury. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then – How about um, Mateo is the Mateo, guy that's oh, really yeah. – I, mean, yeah. I, I was going to go to him last because, yeah. I mean, he's – He's been the hottest hitter in the MLB for the month of April, and then moving into May, he's still successful. I think the pitchers kind of figured him out a little bit, throwing more off speed, and he's out in front of it. But uh, he can definitely hit the fastball. He's proved that he can hit the fastball. So. Yeah, and a really good defensive player. Okay. But, but but you're right. I mean, you, you look at the lineup outside of a guy like Rutschman and, uh, and and maybe Hayes to some extent and Mountcastle. But generally speaking, yeah, they're not necessarily the lineup of like a Toronto, for instance, uh, with the talent they have in that, in that lineup. But – hey, the numbers are the numbers, and they're scoring a lot of runs. They're one of the top run-producing teams. And obviously, too, stealing bases. They've been able to be very successful at that. I mean, you've got guys like Mateo, Mullins, uh, but also um, Hayes. I think I just mentioned him. Uh, Mountcastle a little bit. The guys have speed. And you're also seeing the birds at times not afraid to, to put down a bunt. I mean, this seems to be a lineup that is offensively fairly versatile where they can hit the long ball a little bit, but they steal bases. They'll put down bunts you know, uh, hit-and-run type team. They do a little bit of everything, which is really good to see. Where you see a Yankees team, they're home run or bust, and, yeah, it gets them through the regular season, but come the playoffs, it's not enough because you face much quality, much more quality pitching. And we, I mean, we've seen we've seen little stints of uh, everything out of uh, out of everybody. I mean, Frazier's been good uh, defensively. and uh, Yeah, Frazier's a good – that was yeah, a good pickup pick for Michael Elias. I love Elias. that pickup, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, we, we, we talked about Mullins, but, I mean, Mullins is having an average year, but he's 12 for 12 in steals, and he's playing very well. So Defensively in the uh, outfield, really good. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, look, he had, what, uh, a season where he hit over 300. Towards the end, he slumped and finished, I think, at 295. You'd love to see that average at least maybe be around 275, 280 for him. That'd be nice, a little bit of an improvement. But uh, he's been a guy, along with Mountcastle and Hayes, really, those guys were a part of the previous general managers between McPhail and uh, Duquette. You know, so they're melding in with the new Elias guys that are in the mix. So you get that combination there. So some of them are not Elias guys. I don't know that people realize that necessarily. And yeah. We talk about the guys we have down on the farm. I mean, we have uh, middle infield down there. We have guys in the outfield. Uh, I mean, Heston Kerstad has been very good. He's uh, coming off a uh, – he has a heart injury or a – well, it set him back when he got drafted. He was out of baseball for a month and a half or so, came back, played the minors, I think, the second half of last year. And his very first spring training game, if you remember, he had, I think he went three for four, three for three, one of those two, and he had a home run in his very first at bat. And it just goes to show you. But they've been able now, yeah, to add a plethora of talent every day, guys, especially in the infield. That was a weakness for this ball club when Elias took over, among many things. <laughs> the minors wasn't very strong to begin with, but infielders was an issue. It's not It's not now. Yeah. I, I'm a big fan of going and watching the Bowie games. I mean, it, it's 45 minutes from my house, so um, I go down there and watch a guy like Kobe Mayo, who's still very young, has a lot of potential, a lot of power, third baseman, first baseman. Mm -hmm. And then you got um, Jordan Westberg, who can hit the ball very well. And you've got Cesar Prieto, who is – yeah, he had a good season last year. From, he's been, I think, a little down this year. But you have a lot of guys that are – Jackson Holiday's in Aberdeen. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jackson yeah. Holiday is very close. We could go watch him whenever we want. Um, and if you go to the beach, catch yeah. a Shorebirds game yep. in Salisbury on the way to or take right. a half day and yep. go up and to Salisbury. Got, yeah. We've got Colton Cowser. We've got mm -hmm. Kerstad again. I mean – all very successful in the minors right now. So I yeah. think we're, we have a good future. Yeah, it's Look, uh, when I started in Sports Talk Radio in 2007, it was all Ravens all the time. Uh, the Orioles were not a factor, and we didn't talk about it much. And that was unfortunate. And then a little bit of turfs here or there with basketball, maybe a little football, but it was mostly Ravens to have – the Orioles be as significant as the Ravens is huge uh, for all of us. And it's great to see. It's great to see the amount of uh, younger fans be out of Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And now it's an event, too, that people want to be there. And so that, that's great because they need to build the younger generations of uh, Oriole fans now. And, look, the rule changes that they've made, I'm sure you guys have talked about that a lot on the podcast, it's obviously playing out and working uh, very, very well for uh, for everybody. It seems like all involved. And a lot of these younger guys have already played with those rules in the minors and in college, so it's not as big as an adjustment for them as maybe the older veterans. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, with the new rules and uh, the promotions that the, all the Orioles are doing, I mean, I give a lot of credit to the Orioles. They're doing 
Uh, I think free for nine and under. I mean, you're getting the younger generation. They all like being at the ballpark. And then you got $10 bleacher seats. I saw the other day they were doing – it was like $5 bleacher seats on like a Monday yeah. afternoon or something. And they had some 50% discount on something the other day too, and that's that's big. And I know they're doing concerts on Saturdays before games, and they want to uh, enhance Oriole Park and make it like uh, – Truist Park down in Atlanta with adding, and I don't know how much from a footprint standpoint they're going to be able to add, but they want to make, uh, or I guess bring in more restaurants and such, and, and also maybe a, an entertainment stage. And, hey, the more the merrier with that, and the more they can make it an event and get people down there, the better. Yeah, I think uh, Camden Yards is already a beautiful place as it is, um, but you stick it in the middle of Baltimore is not the safest area. I mean, people um, – I think making it a more of an event, making it a better atmosphere is what exactly what they're doing, and it's going to be good for the city. Yeah, yeah no, no question about it. Golf right there, and yeah, yeah. you can see that off of '95. Yep. Yeah, yep. I, I saw that the other day, and that was uh, it's pretty cool uh, to see. And I know they're building up. They they're also putting some uh, other, and I think speaking of events, an event stage or something uh, on that side between the casino and MT Bank Stadium, along with Top Golf there. So yeah, I mean they want to make that a big sports area, and that's. Look, that that would be fantastic. Sports, entertainment area, restaurants, bars, etc. Um, you know, you look at Philadelphia, for instance, with Xfinity Live there, which is phenomenal. So if they could do something like that. There was even talk years ago. Now I'm a traditionalist, so I'm glad it's not happening. But there was talk years ago about moving uh, the Pimlico Racetrack down to that area as well, and to make that a complete sports park. And I'm sure it would have been great. I'm a traditionalist, so I'm glad the Pimlico is still where it is, uh, and that uh, the Preakness is still there. They still need to work through renovating all that, which they said was going to happen or start to happen by now. Uh, but that said, there had been talk about that uh, being the case at one point. But they're uh, they're off to a good start down there, and more to come. Well, if anybody wants to know, it's Taryn Vonda's birthday today. So there you go. Happy birthday! Who Taren just Vonda. got brought back up? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't know if uh, I'm not a Pirates fan. I'm an Orioles fan, and it's like the same the same reason the younger generation coming up and watching. It's way easier to go to a baseball game as a five year old than it is going to a uh, going to a Ravens game or something. So I grew up watching the Orioles, so I'm a Steelers and Orioles fan. Um, but, yeah, I really like where we're headed, and I think I think they're just trying to tie that whole area together where you can just walk back and forth. The Ravens stadium's right there like they do in Philly. The I mean, Lincoln Field's right by the basketball arena. Oh, Wells Fargo um, and, right. yeah. Yep. So, yeah, Citizens yeah, Bank and Lincoln Financial and, right, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dave? I, I mean, I know, Ben, you were a big – you did not like the rule changes because yeah, so I thought – my dad and I had many discussions. I, I talked to my dad 24-7 about baseball, and we're big baseball card fans, so we're just, like, always constantly talking about it. Um, but I think uh, it's good for the younger generation when they're trying to get into baseball. But for the – like, you talked about traditionalists. Like, the um, the all, like lifelong baseball fan, it's, it's a trying to appeal – to the non-baseball fans, but like the lifelong baseball fans, they're always they like the traditional game. They they like the games how they are. Like they like them to be longer games and um, just like a fun atmosphere. But now they're making it so it's it's shorter games, less time at the ballpark, um, and uh, it's just I feel like they're trying to appeal to the non-baseball fan. That's the only thing I had. Well, I, I I think it's more the the fringe baseball fan or the fan that will watch a little bit but not as much, maybe because of the length of game. Uh, I, look, I understand that aspect of it, and I could see it both ways, really. Um, but they are trying to get a fan that may watch a little bit, go to the games a little bit, and get them more involved. And the big sell is – well, two – the games are shorter, and there's more offensive production. And to me, I don't think the time matters as much. If there's action, I don't think people care necessarily how long a game is if there's a lot of action. And the offensive rules were changed to, to, do, to do just that and score more runs. They decided to get it from both ends. So they decided to try to shrink the game as best as possible, although when you're encouraging more offense, the game's going to be longer anyway, just not as long as they would be normally uh, with that. But, I, look, I, I understand that. But they, from a business standpoint, need to make sure that they have a younger fan base for generations to come that will be involved in going out to games, but you know, more so watching it because it's all about the TV contracts as much as the ticket sales in the stadiums. So, uh, you know, we'll see if that makes the difference. I mean, that is going to be the question. But all of us know the winning cures all. You can, if you've got a team, despite the rule changes and shorter games, if you've got a team that's losing 100 games, 
you're not going to get that interest. And even some of the bigger baseball fans may not tune in as much uh, as they normally would. So I understand that. I thought that they might start first with the offensive rule changes, see how that goes, and then maybe work on a pitch clock, et cetera. But they decided to go full bore all in. And, again, it seems to be working. Yeah, I'm sure there are some that are not happy with it, but it seems like the majority are, and we'll, we'll see. But ultimately, they'll need to see over the years here, okay, can they quantify increased crowds, increased TV and radio listening? We'll find out. Yeah, I think it, all, it also all depends on the team. I mean, like, because you, you have the Orioles are one of the hottest teams. They're filling up the stadium. And when I was there the other night, it was a two-hour and 15-minute game. It was still very enjoyable. I mean, it wasn't – it was a four-to-two game, but, I mean, it was every five seconds there was something going on. Yeah. So. But if it had been three hours and 15 minutes, I don't think the people would have cared because the Orioles are winning. It's Tampa Bay. You've got young players. So that's that, – that aspect, again, if it, they're winning and there's and a fair amount of offense, I don't think the time matters as much. Yeah, and there was a – I'll get to you in a second. Uh, <laughs> there, was an o- there was an Oakland game – uh, uh, the other day in Oakland is I'm pretty sure they still Oof. have the worst record and there was I think they said there was 1,200 fans or less than should we just call them the Las Vegas A's yeah, at this right. point they, now? They, they need to move I mean it's it's all has to do with the stadium as well they did yeah the stadium is 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 horrendous I mean historically bad um yeah, so. Oakland, Alameda, yeah. yeah. Well, they, I guess they could call them the Aces in Las Vegas instead of the A's, yep. you know, with yeah. that. But, yeah, the, uh, you're right. I mean, with, well, the Oakland, that's an outlier because that's just – that's a bad situation there. They're they're on their way out the door. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is all I hear out there. Uh, I grew up in an area where there's no kids in soccer or anything like that. So when you go to a Saturday game or a Sunday game and it's 9 o'clock and you can hear it outside – That's fa- hey, that's completely fair. That's completely fair. Yep, I get that. Yeah, I, and I like that a- aspect of it. And I know you've got school nights, but for if you're a high schooler, you're kind of used to being up l- later anyway. So six thirty-five, you guys can go to that. And even for maybe an elementary or middle schooler, you know, if it's a Thursday night, knowing you got the weekend ahead, you can get away with maybe going to bed a little bit later. You can get some of the families out on some of those nights as well. So now I, I think the six thirty-five, I think that was a better idea than just shortening the games because it does get more out and again when you're winning that just makes it even more of an opportunity to get more fans out there miss danielle gave me the nod on that one because the, the two young kids then you'll be able to take them to the game yeah well for for those of us to have to be up early in the morning for the the early morning jobs they can get in most of if not all of the game and still be able to go to bed at a decent time like yours truly because i'm up at 2 30 45 in the morning for my job so. yeah um so I don't know. I don't know. Uh, if, if we're done talking about Orioles, we can move into Calvert Hall Sports. Uh, we have please do a couple MIA championships have already come in the door. Uh, three. We have tennis, rugby, and my team, and the JV golf. Um, we were able to. We're co-champions. We were able to tie ten and a half, ten and a half against Loyola. Not the outcome we wanted, but I think it's a it's a win in our book because they were they were eleven zero and two on the season. So. Um, no, that's fantastic. And I, brother had told me, brother Kane told me for tennis, I think that was the first tennis championship in 20 years. Uh, so that, that was big. And look, gold jackets are standard around here. So it's great. It's great to see that that tradition continues that has not dropped off one bit around here. And I know we've got some teams in the mix as we do this on, on Friday, uh, baseball is at Mount St. Joe. You've got lacrosse got a first round by and look, lacrosse was supposed to be maybe in a rebuilding mode this year. And that first loss to St. Mary's was a 13 to three and maybe thinking it's going to be a long year. And here they've won five straight. They're third in the area. Number two in the MIAA. I mean, that's a tribute to coach Kelly. Um, and then golf uh, varsity golf is uh, next week, right? Yeah. So, uh, their playoffs start next week. Um, 
Uh, it's been fun watching. We went to we took an uh, Outer Banks trip earlier in the year. We we mixed up the groups, so we, varsity guys, JV guys, were all playing together. Nice. And it's just fun to watch everybody play golf and just have fun with it. Yeah. Well, Coach uh, Coach Forrester was uh, a coworker of mine back in '07 when I get started at Sports Talk Radio on the AM band. Uh, he was uh, the morning show host there, and uh, he now is over at the fan with us doing that golf show on Sunday afternoons yeah, yeah. from noon until one. But yeah. he's been a guest of my show at times, and it's uh, it's great to see he's over here. And, and I credit him every time at the end of our interviews. Go Hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, that's one of the, the things uh, we – I mean, we don't necessarily make fun of him, but we, we always know that's coming. When, when we're walking off a tee box or when we make a putt, it's, we come off the green, it's, it's go haul. Yeah. <laughs> I, every time. It's, uh, yeah. But it's, it's always fun to, to play with the guys, and uh, it's, it's just always a fun atmosphere out on the golf course with everybody. Yeah. And I think uh, track and field uh, Thursday they had uh, qualifying – so they're also in the mix there. So uh, it's a busy time of year around these parts. Yeah, and I think David wanted to talk about some Terps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's So yeah. for me, I'm a big Terps guy, Terps basketball. I love Terps. So I just want to get your uh, opinion on the whole Hunter Dickinson situation. Sure. Uh, with the NIL, I know he was complaining. Obviously, there was thoughts he might come to the Terps, you know, a little hometown reunion. Obviously, he played with Jameer Young at the Matha. But then he says the big reason that he transferred from Michigan is the NIL. So I want to get your opinion on the, the whole NIL situation in not only college basketball, but just college sports in general. Well, I mean, first with Hunter Dickinson, and I think he was doing Maryland at Georgetown. He was just being nice about having lunch. He was in town, so he met with both the coaches, and he's obviously got ties to both schools. The Georgetown coach had recruited him back at Providence, and then, of course, you mentioned the young uh, ties of being from the area with Maryland. Look, NIL is out there. Dickinson's not going to be a major NBA star. He may get drafted. He may get signed by an international or a European team, what have you. But So he's going to try to get as much money as he can now that that's out there. Uh, I, it, it, I still think that NIL benefits the Blue Bloods and the athletic programs or the schools that stress athletics and want to win as much as being a good academic school, if not more so. And, and when you think Kansas basketball – or think Kansas, you think Kansas basketball. They're always in it to win it. So I'm not surprised that they were the highest bidder in that regard. You look at Michigan, where it came from, and Maryland. Those are schools that have academic standards. They put academics as high, if not higher, than athletics. And so their NILs are not going to be as competitive. Now, I'd say Michigan is more competitive than Maryland, but that's going to be – always a barrier for Maryland to have to overcome. Now, my understanding is they did pony up and, and offered a maybe a better NIL than what I think Dickinson was expecting. But that's just a facet where, again, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to favor those schools that were already winning and behind the scenes, I think, as we know, giving players some benefits that they were just you know off, uh, off the books. Now it's legal to be able to do. Uh, it's here to stay, and I, I just hope for the players that – don't have an NBA career in front of them that they consider that their college experience and the degree is still very important because only about what 2%, 3% of these collegians go to the pros. So you need to consider the college experience and the academics as much, but um yeah, it's a long time coming. I didn't think NIL would be as expansive as it was. I thought it was, hey, if your name's on the back of a jersey or used in a video game, you get that money. I didn't think it would evolve into getting the kind of paydays, endorsements that it has. I just hope the kids use the money wisely, and uh, I'm certainly all about them being um, getting money for the use of their name. But, again, I didn't think it would expand to the way it is. But uh, for the teams at the schools that aren't as athletically um, – inclined it stays the same for them and for the teams that are the blue bloods and the pro athletics it stays the same they're going to continue they're going to benefit from this yeah I think with Dickinson especially it just it just made a lot of sense I was trying to explain to my mom who's like you know if Dickinson's this huge superstar why does he care so much about the NIL if he's just going to go straight to the pros and I'm like Dickinson like all these college superstars that play three four years they're not their NBA career is going to be either limited or they're not going to have one at all. Like thinking back before the NIL, uh, another Big Ten guy, Luca Garza, fantastic player, but you know he's going to be on the back end of the bench or possibly overseas. Like these guys need to make the money now, or else they're just they're just not going to be able to make as much overseas, and then their star is going to fade. Uh, 
I also like obviously the Blue Bloods, and it's worked out for some programs. Obviously, Miami this year made it to the Final Four, and they spent, I think, close to $800,000 or, or for their NIL on Nigel Pack, who obviously, and then another, their other star guard, Isaiah Wong, threatened to transfer because of the NIL, and they were able to keep those two together and then make a Final Four push. There you go. So yeah. we've seen how the NIL has played, you know, a huge, huge role in college sports, mm -hmm. and I don't have a problem with it. Obviously, I think these guys do deserve to get paid, especially if they've, you know, guys like Dickinson, these are big names, and they should be rewarded for their uh, their success in college basketball. Well, I, I have mixed feelings about the NIL. I think it started as a good, uh, morally good thing to do for these kids because a lot of these colleges are profiting heavily off the kids, and the kids um, get no get no incentives from it. But now I think, especially in college football, it's pretty much turning into a bidding war. Um, if, as you see, like, Coach Prime going to Colorado, I mean, like, he just gets people there because it's Deion Sanders, and Deion Sanders is going to be Deion Sanders. He's going to be in the spotlight, and he's going to um, – He's gonna. There's gonna be all eyes on him, and there's gonna be all eyes on players. So, there's like I, I don't really know how to feel about it. I mean, you have teams like Alabama and um, Texas A&M who are basically like paying players to come and play for them uh, with kind of this NIL loophole, and I think it's not fair to a lot of um, a lot of other colleges in those conferences. I know Vandy's never competitive in college football, but now you're just making it harder for them to compete because they don't have that. Um, that media, like, they don't have all eyes on them like they do Alabama and A&M, and it's just, it's just making these smaller schools harder to compete. Yeah, and again, I, I go back to the the, uh, and I'm look, I'm a big pro athletics guy, but I go back to the academic end of things that, at the end of the day, a free education that they're getting is huge. With the small amount of of players actually go pro and and can make a living there, you hope again that they're. Um, Consider keeping that in mind because it is important. And look, just because you make, let's say you make a million dollars in NIL, um, as someone that's been out in the world now for from Calvert Hall for tw over 25 years, a million dollars today, you think, oh, that's a lot of money. Guess what? When you consider a lot of different factors, including having a family and putting them through school and retirement and health care costs and all that, it's not a lot of money. So, And then you've got family members asking for money, too. It's not what you might think. So you got to take care of, uh, you know, you've got to make sure that you've got uh, an education to be able to, uh, profit you as in a career, you know, afterwards. And, and yeah, it's, it's all going to the highest bidder and such. Um, but you hope that the kids though, ultimately are still looked out for, uh, with this, but you know, a lot of people would say this was going on anyway, behind the scenes. Right. Now it's just legal. So I, in some cases, I don't know if there's a big change. <laughs> I, maybe the numbers are higher in some cases, but you know, to some extent this was always going on. It was just, uh, being done behind closed doors and maybe and maybe now that it's illegal it's uh, more aggressive in the sense of you can absolutely there's more, I think more that's money right. being thrown at them than there was because you kind of had to keep it in the back rooms you kind of had to um, figure out a way where it's not noticeable for these like NCAA investigators and and such like um, what that Penny Hardaway at Memphis um, what, what, whatever happened with James Wiseman um, uh, what did he do he like bought he like he like paid for his apartment or his p mom's yeah. apartment or something yeah, uh, Memphis is again. It's it's like a Coach Prime uh, type of deal, just to a lesser extent. Obviously, Penny Hardaway, famous NBA player, and they get these guys. You get these five stars. Obviously, Amani Bates they had for a little bit. Um, these again, that's the I think the downfall of coaches like this. They get all these big name guys, but I don't think Penny Hardaway is a good coach. It's just been proven like. Memphis, you know, they're not in the they're in the American Conference. They haven't been good. Uh, I mean, that's you know maybe we'll see what happens with Coach Prime at Colorado and if that if he gets the same type of Penny Hardaway, where they got all these big names and then it just kind of falls flat. Yeah, I know you saw Memphis when they got all the big names. They were I mean touted as like probably top twenty five championship odds, and you see Colorado's championship odds jump. So that even affects um, the newly legal sports betting scene, and it's just um, with big with big name with big name coaches like uh, Deion Sanders, and it's it's actually just a weird dynamic with Deion Sanders because his son is at Colorado, so it's like that whole like father son kind of bias where Jader Sanders is probably going to start, um, and I mean you see his draft stock. I mean if you go into any early mock draft, Jader Sanders is like first round 
like he's going to go in the first round. So it's kind of interesting. Yeah, I, I, just two two seconds on Coach Prime, then we'll get back to the Terps. Is that I, I think with him, I understand that. His brand is what's selling Colorado football right now, bringing players in. I think he's going to have to walk a fine line to make sure that it's not all about him, that he makes sure his players get credit, because I can see where it could quickly become, well, you're getting all the spotlight, we're doing all the work here, and we're not getting any credit. And so he needs to walk that fine line. But I understand that, though, he is right now Colorado football with that. I also think in terms of bringing the players from Jacksonville State, and look, his son probably will be the best quarterback on the team for this season. But I think you have to be careful about just handing kids jobs. If there's, say, a five-star that said, I want to go to Colorado, and Coach Prime saying, Oh, the job's my son, and it's not going to be earned on merit, that's not a good sign. So uh, that won't likely be the scenario this year, but in the future it could be. So I think that's something that I don't know the kind of message about, well, I'm bringing these kids and they're going to start. Well, if he ends up recruiting some other good kids coming in, there should be open competition if, if another kid may be able to win that job. Um, but, you know, talking about NIL, and it's not mutually exclusive, but, you know, you're talking about the Terps. Um, something also with the transfer portal, though, NIL aside, you see an Ian Martinez is transferring from the, the Terps. Now, that's because you've got two freshmen coming in who are going to start. Right. You get a transfer from Indiana. And the thing that bothers me a little bit, though, and, and, and it, again, it's a – sense of situation I understand these kids only get four or five years and they want to be able to play as much as possible but what's also going on is you've got kids that don't want to necessarily earn it they don't want to earn the spot if they're a sixth or seventh man and they get a lot of playing time it's not good enough and they don't want to have to maybe have to earn the ability to get into the starting five they want to go to a school where it's handed to them where I'm automatically going to get in the starting lineup based on my talent, but not necessarily having to beat somebody out to get there. And look, when you graduate from college, you're going to be in situations where you're going to need to earn a spot. You're not just going to be handed a CEO spot or a CFO spot or whatever it may be. You've got to earn it. And I get concerned about the portal and what that tells these young men and women about is that, well, I'm just going to go where it's easier for me to do this, that, and the other. Well, Life's not always easy like that. And the, what lesson does that teach the kids a little bit? Um, again, I understand coaches move from school to school. Should kids not have the ability to do that? I understand that. But also there's some downsides to it as well. Agreed. Uh, obviously, Martinez and then even Hakeem Hart transferring, I think he was kind of doing with the same thing. We see Villanova's probably not going to be this great program next year. And then we got, obviously, Deshaun Harris-Smith, Jamie Kaiser's coming in, a couple four-stars. Yeah, uh, Lamoth as well. Lamoth from yeah. St. Francis, yeah. Right. So those are some good guys. And Martinez, I I like Martinez. Um, was he going to start maybe at the start of the year? And then He, was he would have at the start of the I year. I think so because yeah. yeah. for Martinez, he was j- just great off the bench at times where he'd give you like six points. He'd come, he'd come right in. You and know. he shot 40% at the end of the – he shot 40% from three. That exactly. was big. He was, yeah. a, he was a spark plug off yeah. the bench for – an otherwise kind of lacking bench unit, um, like Jahari Long, Noah Batchelor, these guys weren't yeah, great. Depth was an issue for depth them. Depth was yeah. an issue. So I think that will be fixed. And I'm really disappointed of Martinez. Hakeem Hart, I kind of expected. Not a big Hakeem Hart guy personally. And I guess he's going to be probably one of the better players on, on Nova this year. Yeah, I think that was uh, an NIL, but it also was a time playing. I think he saw his time being cut into by the freshman coming right. in and any transfers, and that's why I went to Nova. Uh, and it's back home for him as well. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Uh, the good thing for me with the transfer portal is it does keep some of these smaller schools a little bit more competitive. We've seen that. that. It does. And I like that, you know, it's not always – it's a little bit different in football. Obviously, the big schools are take over. But then we've seen, you know, smaller schools – FAU uh, this year that they have these they have good actually have good rosters and it's not all like all these guys all the best players in college basketball are at these big time schools you know smaller school guys are are just um, our smaller school teams are making uh, bigger runs and bigger pushes in the tournament which I really enjoy yeah and I think that's one of the better or more important benefits of the transfer portal no look you're absolutely right with basketball you don't need nearly as many numbers so you get two or three kids that makes a huge difference in football you need a lot more than two or three players to make a difference I think what'll be interesting is and I've argued this on my program before is in the NCAA tournament we love Cinderella's we love deep runs by teams but when it gets down to the final four 
I've always argued, and I'll admit, I'm, I'm a, I guess, a blue blood snob, a snob in that regard, that when it comes down to the Final Four, though, yeah, I want to see the big-time matchups in the Final Four. I don't know that I want to see a San Diego State or an FAU, yeah. but that may be the new norm, and either we're going to get used to that and accept that, or when it comes down to the Final Four, it may become very regionalized, where – more fans will say, eh, you know, I, I don't – if it's not a blue blood and if my team's not in it, then I'm not going to watch it. I'll watch it up until then, but eh, I'm not going to go out of my way to watch the Final Four where with the blue bloods or if your team's in it, you would. So it'll be interesting to see how the numbers are because the numbers for the NCAA tournament uh, championship game were not good at all. Yeah, that's not what I was going to say. I was going to say the numbers are really down, and people were actually more focused um, on the women's tournament with Caitlin Clark and Angel Reese. Um and those are two very well-known programs in women's basketball. I mean, LSU was, what, a one seed? They were one seed, right? Mm-hmm. There were three, and then uh, Iowa was a two. So you see that next to who was in the championship? It was – Well, it was FAU and UConn, which, you know, UConn was just steamrolling guys. And then also UConn didn't have, like, that big name to kind of – obviously, Sonogo was fantastic, Jordan Hawkins, you know, local guy was fantastic but there weren't these big names obviously like we saw guys like Brandon Miller you know he, they got their season cut short with San Diego State after they steamrolled Maryland in the round of 32 which was fantastic to watch uh, so <laughs> some of these top prospects if they're not or just big name college stars if they're not in these the final four you know you're not going to tune in like I was more I was ready to watch UConn in Miami I was excited for that FAU, San Diego State, eh, not really. Yeah. Yeah, that, and then we'll see what happens going forward with that. Mm. So, yeah, but it, it's certainly parody now, I think. Well, we'll see, and I, I've said this, we'll see because you did have a lot of these teams that had fifth-year COVID guys or transfers that weren't NBA guys who had had a lot of experience. There was already a ton of, of uh, parody in men's college basketball. We'll see if it's fully – immersed itself in men's college basketball or if because of the transfer portal and the extra COVID year if it'll still be the case in the final four where you'll have at least one number one seed and maybe a two or three or is it going to be going forward that you're going to see a lot of fours and fives and sevens make up that final four I'm sure you'll still have some ones and two seeds at least as one of the four teams but it'll be interesting to see how that final four goes from here on out but eventually that COVID year will flush itself out and the transfer portal is not going away. Right. But we'll have to see how that ha- – but, look, parity in men's college basketball is, if not already there, almost fully there. And in women's college basketball, it's getting there. It's still somewhat top-heavy, but you've seen a lot of improvement. And Maryland really going to the Big Ten pushed the women's game where the Iowas, the Ohio States, the Michigan – well, Michigan's always been halfway decent, but you're seeing that these other Big Ten teams have had to catch up to a Maryland coming from an ACC. Right. And uh, so you're seeing that in the women's game that there's more parity every day but they're still a little top heavy but uh, it's great to see and it's great to see that they got the kind of attention um, that the, the men usually get yeah because yeah, I think actually the turp the the lady turps are usually a lot more consistent than the the men's side the men's side there's over the last 25 yeah, years exactly. they have been yeah. Uh, yeah and obviously I don't think a lot of people know but you know, Angel Reese was was a Terp. Obviously, her brother Julian was on is still on the team. Thankfully, he yeah. wasn't uh, gotten away from I, by another team. I still don't understand the whole or why he decided to stay at at Maryland when he could have just gone to LSU and probably. I know LSU wasn't great last year on the men's side, and the transfer portal is weird for me. Like, you got curious decisions like Reese staying. One decision that I always come back to that I never understood my dad and I talk about it all the time, is Daryl Morsell transferring. I've never understood. Like, he seemed he was a homegrown guy. He seemed like he loved the Terps. And then he just left and went to Marquette. Obviously, there might have been some stuff going on behind the scenes because then the next year while he was at Marquette, Turgeon steps down, and then we see the kind of the downfall of the Terps program that year. Yeah, I think for Morsell, that was he wanted more opportunities to be able to uh, be an offensive weapon 
and that way to better his stock for the NBA. If he had come back to Maryland, he would not have been their one or two option on offense, maybe not until you get to the fourth guy. And so he wanted to uh, improve his offensive game for NBA stock. Now, ultimately, it didn't pan out for him, uh, but he—that's why. But that's why I went to Marquette yeah. there to do just that. Because otherwise, you're right. But uh, that was more of an individual type thing. And after four years at Maryland, who could blame him? He certainly uh, did his part to help the Terps out. Yeah, yeah. yeah but it was player. disappointing. I agree. It would have been great to have him back. Though. I know because that 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 squad was not one of my favorites. Uh, and I. A little bit. I think he might have been able to be more of an offensive weapon just because Ayala, Ayala was just awful for me personally. I, I have a strong dislike of Eric Ayala. It's just not not a great player personally. Well, he and Wiggins. I mean, the thing the thing Wiggins, with those two, he he so and Wiggins consistent. didn't develop until the second half of their junior year, and then they played great together. But it was such a short period of time where you would have liked to have seen that development earlier under Turgeon. It didn't happen, and that was tur- – look, for a former point guard at Kansas, I don't know how Mark Turgeon's teams offensively were so deficient. No offensive game plan. You know, it's always a two-man game or one-on-one. I, I don't get any of that. He was a defensive coach, and they were good, a half-court yeah. defensive yeah. team. Look, they were good in the Big Ten. They were solid, but offensively, so many issues. You see the difference where th- there is flexibility and uh, given to the players today under Willard, but you see Willard is a much better X's and O's guy uh, at Maryland than, than Turgeon ever was. Yeah, well, with Turge, I think his biggest fallback was just having guys like Mello and Cowan that were just so fantastic in the last couple couple minutes of a game where – you know, they were just going to take over. They were going to hit those big shots. And then he just – that was kind of all he needed. He just – it was a fallback almost. And then Ayala wasn't really like that. And then you get big big guys in the portal like Wahab. You can't develop him. Obviously, they hooked up Danny Manning as an assistant coach. These Although he got – you know, but he took yeah. over to, to become the head coach. Right. So, yeah, you lost that maybe more one-on-one uh, time that could have developed Wahab a little bit. Yeah, and then I, I feel like Willard's just done a great job. It just seems like they're more – they're playing more team basketball. I still see a little bit with Jameer Young trying to play the hero ball, like Cowan uh, Trimble-esque, where he's taking these shots at the end of the game. And sometimes, sometimes they fall. Sometimes I'm like, you just don't need that at that time. But I really like where the Terps are heading. I think this is going to be one of their best squads they've had in a while. Obviously, one of their best recruiting classes. And then they bring back Jameer, Dante, uh, Julian Reese. Should have, a, I think, a all-Big Ten season this year. They need another big man, though. And now that Martinez, that opens up, I think, what will ultimately be two spots, if I'm not mistaken, because they're going to have two guys transfer out still right, um, yeah. with Pablo. And I'm thinking, trying to think of the other guy. So we'll we'll see how they fill those spots. But, yeah. But, no, I mean, look, with what they did last year, which they weren't expected to do much uh, with what Willard did, it, that was that was huge. And so, uh, it's, yeah, it's good to see Young and Scott coming back. That's, that's big for this team. Of course, yeah. 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 You got anything else? Um, uh, you know, very briefly, Maryland football, um, you know, offensive line is going to be something that was a strength. And now hopefully with the transfers coming in, they could, they can uh, take over some of those spots. That'll be a question mark, but you know, if they can put together a third straight year of winning football and, and they've started to build something already there. So hopefully they can continue that. Um, Loxley did a great job in the transfer portal. Tunga Vailoa coming back. First games against Towson. They've got a game against Virginia on a Friday night. So hopefully uh, they can continue to build upon that. And look, Maryland football can win seven games consistently, maybe eight a year. That's leaps and bounds above where they, they've been kind of a roller coaster ride with that program. But Loxley's a Maryland guy all the way. He's here. He's not going anywhere. And so hopefully they can build upon that. I know in Baltimore it's more about Maryland basketball. But I'm hoping Maryland football can uh, continue to just provide steady, consistent, competitive football. You're never going to be a Michigan or Ohio State but they can st- or a Penn State, but they can still be solid in right. the Big Ten. Um, and that's what's most frustrating with uh, Maryland sports a lot is the men's basketball and football is just it's – so, it's so inconsistent. I mean, you can have tough-fought games – like a few, like a couple times against Ohio State, you think, oh, we we have a shot here, or Michigan, oh, we got a shot. I think this year when we played Michigan, it was like, oh my gosh, we're actually going to beat Michigan, and then it just kind of, just kind of falls apart. And um, but I do like, I do like where Loxley's headed, and I really like uh, Tagovailoa. He's going into his, what is his senior season or fifth year senior? Fifth year. But 
Um, I think he played well last year, and this year he should. He should take a leap. Obviously, he won't be he won't be a big NFL guy. He might make a practice squad or maybe get signed by the Dolphins because of his brother. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, I really like I really like uh, Maryland football. I thought it was the most entertaining year they've had in a while last year. Um, yeah, that Ohio State game was a really good one. Yeah, Michigan was right down to the end. Right. If they don't fumble the kickoff return at the very beginning of the game, that's seven points there. Right. There were a few questionable calls always going to happen within games. But, uh, yeah, I know sometimes they tease you a little bit against some of the better teams. But, uh, yeah, this upcoming season, again, hopefully they can make it three in a row. Uh, but remember, I'll say this about you were talking about Maryland women's basketball. And, yes, they've had more success generally over the last 25 years. But don't forget with the men's team, though, going up until two seasons ago in, in that – Turgeon season where he left halfway through Maryland men's basketball team had uh, had 20 I think going back to the 93 94 season had had over 20 straight winning seasons and they were right up there with the uh, two of the other top teams in the in the country only two other teams had had that kind of streak going so well it was a great day to be here uh, at Calvert Hall on the eighth annual all day hall day um we thank uh, Mr. Mike Popovic for uh, joining us today. Thank and, you, guys. Uh, I appreciate yeah. it. Always good being back yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, it was fun to have you. And uh, no, I'm good. I, I got outro. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> this is my every every episode outro. It's a uh, stay classy, Cardinals. <laughs>